0: Hey y'all, it's Ella. I'm the host of the For Better Self and Net Worth podcast, on this episode, I have an amazing treat for you. I'm interviewing Suzanne Powell. Suzanne Powell is the Amazon bestseller of an upcoming book called Ultimate Money Moves for Women Over 50. She's got some incredible advice for any woman of any age on how to manage money and a lot of situations that life will throw at us. She's also got so much incredible value but what she's going to bring onto this show about life decisions around money management and the things that she's learned, so many best practices. So give it a listen and also check out the show notes where you can find a link to purchase pre-order her book and to check out her website. Another quick disclaimer before you give it a listen, the interview was done through Zoom so the auto quality is going to be different, going to get value regardless. So thanks again and I know you'll enjoy You are listening to For Better Self and Net Worth. I'm Ella, your host, and the mission for this podcast is to empower you to follow your dreams, take ownership of your wealth, and live your best life. I hope you enjoy the episode, and thank you so much for listening. Welcome back to the For Better Self and Net Worth podcast. I am so excited as always, but extremely excited today because I have a real treat for you guys. Since this started off as a budgeting podcast and is still going to be a podcast where we often talk about taking ownership of your wealth, I'm very, very lucky today to have my guest, Suzanne Powell, who is an Amazon bestseller for her book, Ultimate Money Moves Over 50. And she is here to give us some great tips and tricks and some lessons that she has learned along the way for wealth management. So Suzanne, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Would, you,
1: right.
0: yeah, would you like to start off the podcast, um, giving us a background on yourself and what inspired you to write your book, Ultimate Money Moves Over 50?
1: Um, yeah. So a little bit about myself. I went to uh, college back uh, about 25 years ago. Um, originally for a computer engineering scholarship that essentially turned into a business degree um, because some of the classes were just a little further down the engineering rabbit hole than I I think I had really realized Um, and so I was in college uh, basically waitressing at Cheeky's and I had met a girl in her 40s you know family children who basically said you know I hope you don't do what I do. I hope you, you know, find a real career, find a real job Um, because obviously the money when you're waitressing is really good and, you know, kind of years went by and all of a sudden, you know, she's in her forties without a a degree, without a technical career, without health insurance. She was very explicit with me about that. No 401k. Um, And so I actually intentionally uh, got a job as a teller, took a huge pay cut. Uh, Really to just, quote, have a job, have the career, you know, that nine to five Monday through Friday. And then subsequently the teller job turned into an assistant branch manager, personal banker, you know, licensed banker. And then um, I was securities licensed back in 2004. So this is my 18th year client facing. Um, At that time, it was with bank one. Now what you'd call Chase Bank. And then they actually approached me back in 2007 about becoming a financial advisor because I was closing more business than their financial advisors were. Um, so I never applied. Uh, they just called me up one day and said, hey, you know, we've got this opening for these branches. You're, are you interested? I said yes. And uh, my first full month as a financial advisor was August of 07. And um I think my, my revenue was just through the roof that month and it, it kind of never went backwards. So, um, a little little bit about me. So I've been in this business, I'm in Lexington, Kentucky in in the United States, and I've been in this business now, this is my 18th year. And, um, it really all started with kind of working with a girl at a restaurant that told me that, you know, the good, easy money isn't really necessarily the best way to go long term, and at that time, I had a roommate, I could afford to take the pay cut. Uh, I think I had always liked the easy money. So I never really thought about taking the pay cut until Candace told me, (laughs) don't don't be here forever like me or you're going to get trapped. And uh, it was good advice. So I took it. Absolutely. We all want to retire sometime in our life. Yes, eventually. I actually like my job so much now that I have I have conceptualized kind of an unretirement, meaning I don't know that I'm actually going to truly retire because I spend you know, my days with basically my clients who are essentially my family, my friends, people I love. And so in my business, I think I have a little more flexibility. It's not a hard labor type of work. And as long as my brain's functioning, I'm, I'll probably be here probably until my late (laughs) seventies, early eighties. But, um, the book. So the ultimate money moves for women over 50. I deal a lot in my business with women who inevitably are widowed or divorced. Typically the man was the person who managed the finances and, or the investments for the house. And because men are typically a little older than, than the wife and, and then something happens to them because they just have a, a shorter life expectancy than we do. I work a lot with women who tend to be like stranded, holding all these pieces of paper and overwhelmed. Yeah. Cause I've had and family had changes and money changes. Yeah. Right. So, um, I basically, as I've been working with these ladies for years, um, I kind of conceptualize this book which is really almost not like a manual but literally i would like for it to be a manual if i could get to them first of course and get the book to them that would be ideal often i end up coming to them after they've been sold or not really taken care of properly and then they're in pain and they go oh you know we've i've heard about you from so and so um so good news is I, I kind of clean it up and save it and make them better than I found them. But I don't always 100% of the time get to see them from, you know, the day that something drastic happens. So with the book, my goal was really to try to get to more people sooner so that maybe I could help them not get sold, not get scammed, um, really kind of give them some framework to work with so that they understand really how they can manage and maneuver their money, you know, long-term. Yeah. I've
0: noticed that money is still a taboo subject around a lot of women. And that started with me and my friends. We were in our thirties. We were talking about negotiating for a raise. We were talking about how we manage money, how much we're putting back for our 401k. And my friend Allison said, she said, you know, this is so uncommon for women to have conversations around money.
1: Right. Unless you're joining like the pseudo investment club, which, you know, not many of us do anymore, but um, yeah, it's a very, you have to have this conversation intentionally. Of course, it has to be organic. Is it the thing you guys are talking about when you're sitting down with coffee or, you know, having a drink at Applebee's? No, it's never, it's probably not even in the top 10. And um, I hope that it becomes that. I think, my children and people I know as they're going out of school, I think females in general, women in general are starting to take more ownership of budgeting, finances, and investing. Um, It's still not equal though. And, you know, that's kind of my goal is to just really make women more aware of what their their options are and, and really have some accountability over their behavior, their spending, their saving. If you just leave it to the husband, the man, uh, the partner, then what if they were wrong? What if they manipulated you? What if they lied? What if they didn't do it right? What if they leave? You know, all these things can happen and then you're kind of back to square one again. So it's not very comfortable, obviously, a situation that not many women want to be in, um, but inevitably, like upwards of eighty percent of women are in that situation by, you know, by their seventies and eighties, of course, because typically the man has not lived that long.
0: Yeah, so would you say you do a lot of counseling emotionally, just as much as you do financially?
1: Uh, yes, I have like a whole stack of tissues in my my um, cupboard. I I think money in general is more of an emotional conversation. So, you know, people are either not living within their budget or they're not making enough money to really even get by. Um, You know, there's all different stages of emotion around people's finances. And I'm more therapist than I'm probably, you know, an investment advisor. Obviously, that's part of my job. I want to make everyone all the money that I can, but, um, more of it is related to behavioral finance, behavior, relationships, and, um, how to really help. Sometimes even when I work with couples, I have him coming in at a different time than her, not on my accord, but because of them. And he's saying these things and she's saying these things, but they don't want to actually say them to each other. So I have to kind of maneuver and manage all of the intricacies of their relationships it, to really almost keep them together, <laughs> which yeah. is a whole, a whole other thing. Um, and now I'll give you one specific example. I do have a client, this was gosh, 15 years ago, but he would come in so frustrated that she would always leave the lights on. And of course she would cut, come back with, you're not my dad. I own this house too. She did like sure. She had put half the money in. They had um, been partners for many years, never married, still not married. And um, he would just come in so frustrated because she quote was so wasteful. And then of course she would come in and say he's so bossy, you know, he's just like my dad, and I couldn't stand it then, I can't stand it now. And and this is just, you know, an idea I had come up with for him 15 years ago. But we literally bought utility stocks inside of a mutual fund so that he could laugh and be okay when she would leave the lights on and within 2 weeks he called me and he said it works every time she leaves the lights on all i think to myself is i'm making money i'm making money i'm making money and so he still has it by the way he has never sold this utility fund to this day and it was just a psychology thing for him so i was like well let's fix it you know let's let's make you some money on this thing that she thinks is basically you know up to her to do so yeah.
0: I I read a book recently and they talked about the husband freaking out because the wife always bought the higher end toilet paper, the more expensive toilet paper. And he freaked out about it because there's so much fear. It wasn't about the toilet paper, what she was spending on it. I mean, she could have bought that same toilet paper every single day and it still would not have hurt him much financially, but there's so much fear and his relationship with money caused him to be fearful of her buying the
1: expensive toilet paper. Yeah, which it typically boils down to his childhood and his parents. Someone came, grew up in the depression. They didn't have much. They lost everything. I can get to. I can usually get to the center pretty quickly. Um, doesn't mean that it's not a rational fear. It doesn't mean that I'll. I'm going to talk them out of it at all. Um, sometimes they're so hardwired that there is no getting around it. So then it's just okay. Well, this is who you are. This is who you are. Here's your gap. So let's find some things that kind of fit in the middle that you can benefit from, and you know, anytime I can invest in stuff that the other person is buying all the time, it does tend to to do, it does tend to bode well for the relationship when at least they know they're getting it on the other side. Yeah, um, but that's just you know just an idea I came up with at that time, and it's worked. So fantastic. Well, I will tell you. Um, uh, most of my listeners are
0: in between the ages of 25 and 35, almost over half of them. Mm-hmm. If you were at that age, you talked to us about your coworker earlier, telling you, giving you career advice. What advice would you give to some of my listeners regarding money management and just life in general?
1: Um, so there's a couple things, uh, I, I did, uh, as I mentioned to you, I did a, like a four part series for my sorority where we talk about um, growing money and protecting money and doing some different things. And I think the biggest thing for me when I was young, I invested in a mutual fund that I had just signed up online. It was some T-Row price fund. Um, and I think I put in maybe a $50 monthly contribution, which at that time was like their minimum. Their minimums higher now. Um, I actually found a company which I have no affiliation with at all. I, I was just Googling it to give my sorority sister some ideas. And there's a company out there called Betterment, which is um, only, I believe, in the United States or maybe an equivalent for uh, some of the other countries where you have listeners. But there, it's a website where they can take money from your account on an automated basis and put it in whatever you want. You get to pick stuff. They have, of course, kind of like portfolios that they have pre um, pre prepackaged. But when I was looking to try to help some recent alum out of college, of course, those folks tend to walk out with some student loans and maybe low income. A lot of them are still living with their family. And so the concept of saving is just like they don't even want to deal with it right now. Like, uh, uh-uh, I'm, there's yeah. no way. Um, I'm just trying to get out of the house. I'm just trying to find a job. I'm just trying to pay these student loans off. It doesn't work that way. Um, I tell people all the time, I don't care if you have a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt. I don't care if you have $20,000 in student loan debt, you're going to take at least what you would consider to be a bill, a 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks, a hundred bucks, whatever that math is for you. I want it to pinch. I don't want it to be painful but you're going to take that money and you're going to put it in something every month. And I don't want it to be a savings account that you can just do an auto transfer back into your checking. It needs to be a little more difficult to get out of. But if you just wait for a student loan to get paid off, or you just wait to get a better job, to be honest with you, it could be two years, it could be 20 years, and you're still not saving. And yeah. there's you know, a huge value in just the concept of compounding, the power of compounding. And what I explain to people is just automate, turn it on, don't stop it, make it the 15th of the month, make it every third Friday. I don't care how often, I don't care how much, I don't care if it's a company like Schwab or Betterment or whoever, but set an account up, put certain amount in it every month, whatever's comfortable that you're not going to stop. I don't want it to be so painful that you within three months go, whoa, 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 this, this is too much. Um, But also, of course, if your folks are employed and they are at that point where they're getting auto-enrolled into their 401k, usually there's some sort of match, you know, at least do the minimum to get them the free money. If for some reason you don't think you're going to be there long enough to best, because a lot of companies take, you know, three or four or five years to really get the match, that then fine, that's fair. You know, don't set it up, just keep doing the monthly through the alternate service, but ideally you're contributing to both. And to be quite honest, the sooner you can get to 10, 15, 20% of your income, the better off you're going to be. Usually by the time I get to clients in their fifties and sixties, if they haven't saved enough, you know, we're having to somehow come out with 30, 40, 50% of their income being saved in their fifties to try to roll into retirement in their sixties. Because by then it's too late. Um, so automate, um, set it up monthly. I would also consider for some of my younger clients, I like side hustles, I like second, third jobs, okay. I like the Saturday, you know, the Uber stuff. If you can make an extra hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars a week, um, one. It helps you on your taxes because now you're self-employed and some of the, yes. your regular expenses are considered business expenses. Now you have a home office. Now you have mileage. Now you, now you can write off maintenance on your car. This is all of your Uber driver, by the way, You yeah. know, <laughs> which I did briefly for a couple months, several years ago, just to try it. Um, because I was telling people to do it and I was like, you know, I'm going to try it out. And it worked and I loved it. And I think I made like a grand a month and and literally all I did was work one Friday night on campus, uh, we've got a big, you know, fraternity sorority population here. One night, so smart, yeah. Work from eight to one, and I made a thousand dollars a month, basically in five hours, um, which was, you know, good for me. Yeah. Um, so I like side hustles. I like extra money, and the reason why I like extra money is because I feel like there you go, there's your savings. Um, so you can plan for emergencies. You can have a little more cash flow. Um, cash flow is definitely the best thing for people when they're trying to come up with money at Christmas time and, um, and, you know, tires, you know, obviously the things that we're all trying to prepare for that inevitably go on a credit card if we don't have enough money. And, and really why I like cash flow is, is to avoid, you know, paying the banks. So um, interest on credit cards tends to be Really outrageous. Um, anywhere from seventeen to twenty some percent. And if you're not really prepared, if you don't have enough saved for the inevitable things that happen in a calendar year, this is co-pays, this is prescriptions, this is um, doctors' visits, this is your car oil changes, you know, whatever. Um, then all those things inevitably get put on a credit card, which then means you're paying interest to a bank, which then means your minimum payments are barely keeping up, and and it's just kind of a vicious cycle. So uh, to me, in order to really avoid going into even more debt, I like income. I like side hustles. I like making a little extra money, and then of course saving money on my taxes because I get to call myself self-employed. You know, on top of being a W two income earner, and um, and then really, you know, saving money on my credit cards by not having to have revolving credit and revolving debt that's getting charged interest which is i think people r- really don't realize the impact to their budget from revolving credit card interest payments so
0: and how much that accumulates over time
1: it does it, thousands of dollars a year yeah just because you you know put put a tank of gas on it that you didn't have the money for or a set of tires that you didn't have the money for so um that's to me, those are really the biggest, when I get a hold of anyone in their 20s, those are the biggest things. Obviously, a Roth IRA, if you're technically employed and you do have some money left over, start it, do it, get get maxed out, try to pump everything you can into a Roth while your tax rates are low. Um, but for me, most of the, the people that I run across in their 20s really just have a hard time saving in general. And so then for me, I go, well, then you need to make more money. Can't save enough you're going to have to work more.
0: Yeah. I mean, cost of living is just Mm -hmm. increasingly more expensive now. We're seeing inflation. Yes. It's expensive to live. And I totally agree with you with the side hustle. I had a episode a couple, I guess a couple months ago on side hustles and you can literally make money doing anything. I make money teaching dance to bachelorette parties and taking photos of them. It's a lot of fun. I get to be a part of their celebration. It's, It's something that I'm working out and
1: I write off all my workout gear. I write off my Spotify membership and my taxes, Mm -hmm. mileage. Yep. And you get that on top of your standard deduction. And when I explain to people, I'm not an accountant, by the way, asterisk, asterisk, please see your accountant. You know, (laughs) I can't give tax advice, but. Um, I know from personal experience, because I am that person, that you get your standard deduction, whatever the U.S. gives you, and then you get additional write-offs. Again, I don't know enough about tax code in other countries to understand the tax rates in general, but it's not just about saving money on your taxes. It legitimately is also just about making more money.
0: Yeah, I think every, not everyone, but most of my coworkers have other sources of income than just the full-time job. In the full-time job, we can invest into the 401k. We can invest into even the employee stock purchase. We can kind of move our money around and have it in different areas instead of just the checking or savings accounts. So I'm really glad you said that. And what is the website again? Betterment. Yeah. So there's a company. It's a okay. company
1: called Betterment. B e t t e r m e n t. Again, not affiliated at all. Just googled it, found it because they had a low minimum. They'll start let you start with anything. And you can automate ACH, link it to a bank. Uh, and I was just like, wow, that's great. Because T. Rowe Price used to have like, you know, a $50, $100 minimum. Now they only have like a $1,000 minimum. And so when I was going back to my sorority sisters for the, the series I was doing a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to give them a good idea to where they could literally start tomorrow. And it was super simple. It took me seven minutes to set it up completely done, funded it. And I actually now automate and send them money every month. (laughs) Yeah. And and a
0: side note, it's really cool that you are working with your sorority sisters because when I first moved to Nashville, the first thing I did was find a sorority alumni chapter. And it helped me build connections, grow my career. I have lifelong friends, friends I've been friends with for over a decade that I can call up anytime. Friends with children who
1: call me aunt. Yes. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm very grateful for my years in the sorority. It, told, it taught me a lot about yes. event planning, about um, expectations on boards, all kinds of stuff. I'm the chair for a local youth homeless shelter here. And in order to really run the board more efficiently when I joined, Um, they didn't have any subcommittees and I just was like "Mm, you're never going to get anything done without subcommittees trust me I know and so (laughs) it was like walking in and going let's just fix you right up and it was like straight from the sorority playbook (laughs) so I don't know that we as sorority members really realize all of the things we learn in college from being in this sorority but yeah when I was president ladies
0: yeah and when people have ideas I learned to be comfortable saying hey you that's a great idea. Do you want to chair that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Empowering other people to do something that they're asking me to do as a president. So I learned a lot about leadership is, yes. hey, let's go
1: or empower. It's leadership is- a Were you the president of your sorority? Of your chapter? Oh, alumni chapter. Oh, alumni, okay. Yes. yeah, I was I was president for our, our actual chapter and then president for all of Panhellenic. And that was, you know, even more work. <laughs> oh, I love Panhellenic. Uh-huh. We have
0: a Nashville Panhellenic Association here, and I've met some great friends through that as well. Yeah,
1: I love it. I'm, I'm back in it. They dragged, they, oh, they dragged me <laughs> Totally willing. They called me up and said, you know, we, we need you. We need someone on the foundation. You know, someone's got finance experience. I said, OK, fine. So I was involved early on as an alum back in like 2005, six, seven. And I ran the website all the way up till 2007. But then when I had my daughter, I, I kind of peeled off and figured if they ever needed me, they'd let me know. And here I am back in it again. Um, so, yeah, the money, the side hustles, money I love. And um, also, I think a big thing that I explain to girls in their 20s, 30s, you know, women in general, um, insurance, you know, making sure you do have it, right? Health insurance. Yes. Having some life insurance would probably be a good idea, even if it's just a term policy. But then when you're getting your car insurance, making sure that you're, you know, getting proper coverage. My son had a a bit of an accident a couple months ago, and thankfully he was fine. The car was old and therefore we just totaled it. But um, we did have, you know, what I would consider to be proper coverage on it. So when the hospital actually just called yesterday and said, hey, you know, we need we need the rest of your insurance information um, because it was a car accident. Thankfully, you know, we were, we covered and uh, there, but I think a lot of people in their twenties and thirties you know, tend to skimp on certain types of insurance. They think it's not necessary, you know, based on their age, their health conditions and whatever. And then, you know, these massive issues happen, car accidents, whatever, which can just annihilate credit obviously if you don't have a ton of assets it's not like you're trying to protect anything but walking away with humongous hospital bills because you went uninsured because you were young and healthy is the first way to really put yourself in the hole you're never going to get out of
0: yeah hospital so. bills bankrupt people in america probably
1: quicker than anything it, it's it's i mean they, they it's catastrophic i've had friends that have early cancer diagnoses in their twenties and thirties, obviously with, with in the U S with HPV and cervical, you know, cancer, it can really devastate specifically women specifically in their twenties coming straight out of college. If, um, if their partner, you know, wasn't protected or whatever. So it's been uh, interesting for me to see even some of my friends pass away in their thirties because of things that they were dealing with in their twenties. Uh, skin cancer from tanning in high school and um, one or two were not insured. And then of course, back then, this is before Obamacare, they couldn't get insurance and their bills were hundreds of thousands of dollars. So um, yeah, it's never, never a comfortable experience. So I always just preach on making sure you have even just catastrophic coverage, things that just cover those big bills, you don't necessarily have to have the most expensive health insurance plan out there, but if your parents aren't carrying you anymore, then you need to get insurance and there's no excuse to go uninsured um, with all the, the stuff happening with text messaging and driving and accidents and whatnot.
0: Yeah. And street racing, mm-hmm. car accidents, I, car accidents scare me the most because I'm on the road a
1: lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And- Ditto. we've got six children of which only two actually drive. And so we are always in the process of carpooling something to this basketball, soccer, church, you know, all the things. And we're probably hyper vigilant because we do have a new driver and then a driver that's only a year in. So we're like at every light, we're educating kids on here's what happens when the light turns green. You don't just go. 'Cause this guy right here just rolled through the red and you could have been female, you know, whatever. So in that same concept because my son just had that wreck two months ago, I'm like, Oh, what happened if he wouldn't have had health insurance? What happened if he would have done this? And so I'm I guess I'm a, it's a little more fresh on my brain right now because of my kids. But um a lot of children like my son who, you know, just think they're they're unstoppable and they think they're immortal and that's fine you know i don't mind that that methodology but there's still you still have to have some backstops and you still have to put some planning in place because eventually when you turn 20 then turn 30 then turn 40 and then turn 50 and you didn't die young like you thought you may have then you're going oh wait a minute i didn't i wasn't prepared for this and i unfortunately have lots of clients in their seventies and eighties now who didn't think they were ever going to get to this age and okay, but you still have to plan like you're going to, you know, you still have to plan like you're going to live forever. Um, even if you're going to die young and, you know, have a good life and have a good time, like you're going to die young and then, you know, inevitably you'll live forever. So, um, yeah. And then, um, I think you were mentioning to me something about the book, The Ultimate Money Moves for Women Over 50. You wanted me to talk just for a second about, I think I had mentioned who I it inspired me, obviously. Yeah. Um, we did hit number one when we pre-launched a couple weeks ago. So that was extremely exciting. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Again. And then yeah. what else do you want me to go over with the book or um, really just, I guess the, The inspirational stuff. Yeah. Talk about where people can find your book. Um, I think you can, the easiest way is just to go to my website. So it's suzannepowell.com forward slash book. All right. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you. And then tell
0: us about, and I ask every guest this, something that you don't budge on, something that you don't skim on. You can talk about insurance, Mm -hmm. like a personal luxury that you're willing to spend the extra on or not go generic with.
1: Well, you know, I can get pretty cheap when it comes to airline tickets. I like flying frontier (laughs) unless I'm going like, you know, out to an island somewhere. But um, I use Hopper. I used to do Southwest everything. Now I use Hopper to get the cheapest flight. Yeah, I do like Hopper. You're right. Uh, I'm on my third or fourth Rover and I had a Maserati. I like cars and to me, because I don't golf, I don't spend a lot on entertainment. I kind of live and breathe my career and my kids. And so when I look at like discretionary spending, one thing that I always, for me is always worth it is having kind of what would be considered a total waste of money. It's like against every Dave Ramsey, every, every guy that says, oh, you know, don't have the car. Um, but for me having my, now my fourth, uh, Land Rover, one, they're safe. Uh, like I said, my son just rolled it down a ravine a couple months ago, the old one. So I know it's safe. Um, I like having the bigger cars to where I feel like you know, if I get in a wreck with a tree, I will win. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't budge. I don't budge when it comes to my vehicles, and I like I like nice, like nice stuff when it comes to that. And then also just my own clothes. I you know, obviously I I do want to establish credibility with people who are being referred to me and so I like finding what I consider to be nicer dresses and I wear a lot of jumpsuits this is actually a jumpsuit but you just can't see it um and so I like uh I like stuff like that but then I was joking with uh, the girl today that was helping me with my makeup for the photo shoot I did um, I literally use like Suave and Vo5 shampoo. It's like ninety nine cents, and really? I'm still wearing. Oh yeah, and then I'm still wearing CoverGirl makeup like it's nineteen ninety four. I've never changed my makeup since I was a ninth grader. Yeah, and um, and so people laugh at me all the time when I break out my little CoverGirl pad and my CoverGirl foundation because it just. More. It just works for me. You're not the first person I've talked to that swears by CoverGirl. Yeah, it, it, goes I, it goes. It goes on. to me it, like the coverage is thin enough. It's good enough, but thin enough to where it doesn't feel like it's being being caked. So um I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm picky about certain things, but it, of course, my ketchup has to be Heinz. <laughs> Like it has. Oh, to be. There is no ketchup like Heinz ketchup. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I think I think vehicles and. and A lot of my clients take the opposite approach and I appreciate that, you know, they are more budget-minded. They, they, I do run my cars into the ground. Like the car that I had to total a couple of months ago was an 05. So, I mean, it had lived a long life at that point. This car that I have now will live another 10 years easy. Um, So I do, you know, literally until they're dead, I, I keep putting money into them. I keep fixing them. I keep doing whatever is necessary to keep them in good shape. Um, but then at some point, if the bodies are just breaking down, then then I'll let them go. But I think that's the one opposite of sometimes what I even have to preach to people. It, and it, to me, it's more about what the money you make. It's more about what you have saved. And really, it has to do more with your lifestyle. And then also to some degree, which is the case of sometimes with realtors, especially a lot of my clients are realtors. They have to live a certain lifestyle based on the expectation of their clients. And so if they just show up in a really low end, not so nice old car, then sometimes they don't get the business. So unfortunately, a lot of times, especially with realtors, they really have to kind of live this lifestyle of looking like they have a lot of business so that they can get business. And and unfortunately and I would say I'm probably kind of in that same ballpark, right? Financial advisors in general, you kind of expect them to have a pretty nice suit on. You expect them to have a pretty nice office. And you hope that when they get in the car, that they're not just in, you know, a a 1998, like my old car, um, you know, with rusted out panels, because then really kind of what that conveys is they probably don't manage a lot of money. They probably don't help a lot of people. And if they don't, then you kind of worry that you're going to be not with the right person. So anyway, I, uh, I love cars. <laughs> okay, well,
0: I, I found myself a Mustang. Now I've looked at every dealership in town negotiated, but I'm the same way. I love a nice car. I'm in my car a lot. It's got to have the bells and whistles and just like cars and clothing. You have to invest into them if you
1: want them to last forever. Yes. Always. I mean, every year I'm putting more money in a vehicle than I want to. And it's intentional because, you know, it's either that or a car payment. Everything I have is paid off. Um, I always pay my cars off, but, you know, it's just part of life. And, and my sister, who unfortunately is not a great saver and she's always kind of been paycheck to paycheck, she came at me one time and wondered, you know, how do I even save? How does someone save? You know, she's like, I can never get ahead. I can never. I can never seem to get caught up. Something else happens. And I said, you know, no, Jenny, that's, that's called life. Like I plan for those things happening in a calendar year, especially with six children. Here's how many are going to break something on their body and in my house. Here's how many cars are going to break. If we've got six cars, which is what we have right now, here's how much maintenance we have on these things. Then there's always these other things we can't control. And I plan for all of that in a calendar year, and then doled the budget out accordingly. And she's just like, oh, I'm like, yeah, no, things aren't just happening to you. You know, tires are just, a, you know, if this thing's not just happening, this thing's happening, like there's a life to everything. There's a life to a water heater. There's a life expectancy to a furnace. There's a life expectancy to a, a roof and an air conditioning unit. You kind of need to know how far along something is in its life, its usable life. And then unfortunately, when you're kind of beyond that point, like, like her car was, then you almost have to put more maintenance into it just to keep it breathing, you know, like a life support system. And uh, when I explained that to her, just like that, she was just like, oh, I had never thought of it like that. I said, yes, it's not you. It's not karma. It's not, oh goodness. You know, everything always happens. No, sweetie. Like this stuff happens to everybody. It's just the difference of I'm budgeting for it and you're not Amen. And so when she ever gets extra money. You know, they go out to eat or do, you know, maybe some more what they would consider to be frivolous things based on their income. Their income level is different than mine. You know, I can afford to eat out a little more because I have a different income. So I have a different budget. Um, so what I explained to her is, is, you know, here's your budget, here's your income, and you have to kind of confine yourself so you can save that extra little bit, cover the things you don't know. But unfortunately, in her, her mindset is No. I want to live a little and I'll just worry about it later. And I hope she's gotten out of that, but it is kind of a uncomfortable side effect of being lower income, you know, which I grew up. That's, that's how I grew up. So I get it. My mom still thinks that way. My sister still thinks that way. So is my brother. Um, Good news is they have me to lean on. (laughs) So here I am. They get free advice. Yes. And free loans <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it, just Keep it, you know. Yeah.
0: It, well, it's, it's good to be able to do that for your family and for people that you care about.
1: Hmm. It's probably half of the re- reason why I went into this business. There's a little bit more of the backstory to me. Um, gr- I literally grew up in a single wide trailer in a trailer park outside of Detroit. And when I was a kid, of course, my mom, who's paycheck to paycheck, um, literally, you know, never could save because she was a bartender, 10th grade education, worked hard, sweet, sweet lady, you know, told me I could do anything, but just as the bills would stack up and we get the second, third shut off notices, you know, she would always have to pick the bill closest to shut off to pay. Sometimes, unfortunately, we would still get shut off. Usually she would, she would make it the water, you know, versus the the heat, um, and that's fine. But when I was like 10, 11, 12, I'm a, I was an avid reader because I was a very big kid and I didn't get to do anything because we had no money. So I couldn't participate in sports or do any extracurricular activities. So when I was a kid, I would read all these books. And as I would read books, I would learn about just money concepts, like the literal lingo. And I went to my mom, and this is actually on like my bio. Um, I went to my mom one time when I was probably 12, 13 and I just was like, mom, you know, why are we living off our principal? Why aren't we living off our interest? She just looks at me, she's like, Huh? You know, like didn't even understand the word. Like, why are we living off our principal? Why aren't we? I don't know what you're asking me, Suze, but we're paycheck to paycheck. Like there is no money. I'm like, huh? like, yeah, we, we don't have money. I'm like, what do you mean? We don't have money. Cause again, you know, my friends, all trailer park kids, like, I don't understand that we don't have money. I don't realize that we're not in a mansion. Like you don't, I don't have a point of reference when you're growing up in a trailer park, like everyone around you is the same. And so you don't realize what that really means as far as income. And so I was like, okay, so who's going to help me with the car? You, you're going to get a job. Wait a minute. So who's going to pay for college? you're going to get a scholarship. I'm like, hey, whoa. on. Like, so by the time I was 13, I was literally having a map out. I actually went back to my counselor in junior high because back then it was a junior high. I was a seventh, maybe eighth grader at the time. And I had to go back to him and say, you know, wait a minute. This is what my mom just said. I had to map out my entire high school curriculum backwards to make sure I was in all AP classes by 12th grade so that I could actually get a scholarship. Then he told me by the time I was in high school, I needed to get into some other activities. So I joined student council newspaper yearbook. Um, I then went on track and, you know, did some other stuff senior year so that I could look well-rounded. So I could actually get the scholarship to Wayne State to get out of the trailer park. And it basically all started because I was having a conversation with my mom about money. And she just was like, yeah, we don't have any. And I didn't even know that. I I didn't get it. Um, so to this day, my mom still lives with me. I take care of her um she doesn't you know make money. she hasn't worked in years and I think the reason why I'm here is because because she was just not capable and so I had to be capable. I had to adult I had to start working at fifteen. I had to start handing her money to pay the bills. I had to do the grocery shopping and uh it I just kind of took over and then eventually um i i kind of Passed her up, you know, with education and then with capability. And um, yeah, so my, my whole family basically depends on me to some degree. And that's okay, because that's kind of I think what I was built for. I'm the old kid, you know, number one, and the number one children tend to be that person <laughs> inevitably in their households. Anyways, I think it tends to be, yeah. an, I tend to be another parent. In yeah, ways. yeah, for sure. Especially for my sister. She was only 18 months further apart than me. My brother came. A little bit later on, but um, but yeah. So that's actually how I got to college and um, how I really kind of got into money in, in, in general. It was just books. I love reading. I read me too. Definitely, yeah. Everything, all of it. So that's extremely
0: inspiring that you started to learn about wealth at thirteen. I was reading Harry Potter at thirteen.
1: I like <laughs> but, Harry Potter. Oh, I love Harry Potter. I'm a Ravenclaw. It's just like, it's like I had picked through, again, a public library is all I could do. We didn't go buy books. And I think there's just such a limited inventory in that, uh, that neighborhood, the local library, Mm -hmm. that once I got through the things that I wanted to get through, I just would go to the next section, it would be cooking, it would be history. And then I would just sort of gravitate to books that I found to be interesting. So I learned about sign language in a book. I learned about um, weight loss and food. I, I would just pick out certain books and I would walk out. I mean, I remember asking the librarian several times if they had like a max amount of books I was allowed to check out. She said no. Okay. So, I mean, my stack would be so big. I would walk out with 10, 12, 15, 18 books and, and I didn't bring a bag. I, I never brought a bag. I don't even know. If if stores had bags back then um, but I literally would like just be cram, and I'd bring them home and I would I would thumb through some and go oh this is not really what I was expecting and I'd thumb through others and I'd read this one and read that one I, I may not have gotten through all of them because they would be back within like four weeks but um, I did try my best to like almost learn how to read quickly so that I could get the most information I could out of something before I had to return it again. Because back then you couldn't go and, re- and like check them out again. You could only check them out one time. <laughs> I didn't know that I could only check out a book once. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's, yeah, that's incredible.
1: It's like you are a real life Matilda. Thank you, yeah. And I love, I mean, I don't know if you've ever read, um, do, you, do you know who David Goggins is? Have you ever heard of him? That name rings a bell. He's like a military guy who does like extreme, um like the hundred mile races and the really hard stuff. And he wrote a book that actually I listened to the audio book on several times. It was amazing. And, um, quite frankly, like I want to say it was in, it wasn't just in, inspiring. It was almost like, um, I don't know. Motivational would be a better word, but, um, he wrote a book that I love. And have you read the Green Lights book by Matthew McConaughey yet? Yes, I have the audio book just so I can hear Matthew McConaughey's voice. And yes, his audio book was better than the regular book because he added all that extra stuff in, right? Like he kind of went off script sometimes. David Goggins' book's called Can't Hurt Me. And I love his book. I've listened to it twice now. Same thing. He kind of goes off script sometimes and gives you some better advice. Um, But I love David Goggins, the Matthew McConaughey book obviously tim ferris all the stuff he wrote is really good um robert kiyosaki i think i've read everything robert kiyosaki's had to say not to say i agree with it all but yeah i do i do i do like reading um about his stuff passive income and you know property ownership i have several rental properties so i like i like property um,
0: That's that's my next step is to get into my first investment
1: property Yes, it's a hot market right now. It's, it's hard. It, it's this hard. is yeah, a hard time it. to get into that type of market because you're not going to cash flow very well. Mm-hmm. But um, maybe in the next year or two, yeah. I would look at it. I think you'll probably be paying a little too much for it right now.
0: Yeah, so, I was watching. And I thought the bubble would go, would burst by now because the bubble started during COVID.
1: Mm-hmm. It's more interest rate, oh, yeah. it's, it's more about rates so if people can borrow super cheap money and they're still at 2.85 i have a client qualify last week for a loan at 2.85 it's just it's influencing of course consumerism in the united states by borrowing and that that's a lot of our gdp a lot of the way we as a country function here is consuming And and unfortunately, sometimes it's the credit cards and the mortgages and the home equity loans. We can't always pay for everything in cash as a society, as a whole. There's pockets of people that can, but for the most part, if we want extra stuff, we're putting it on a credit card or a 0% offer or, you know, like the furniture places and all these places right now are basically doing 0% loans just to, you know, just to get you to buy their stuff. And that's great, you know, especially if you can pay them off. I like free money. Um, always take the free money, which is, you know, Robert Kiyosaki says, always take the cheap money. Um, but it's basically encouraging a lot of people to get into real estate and to buy their first house, their second house, their vacation house, The, you know, do these extra things. And it's just driving the market up until rates go back up to four. It, it won't stop. Once we get to four, four and a half, I think we'll slow down. And then by the time we get to five, five and a half, there'll be, there'll probably be a bit of a bubble. First, I should say, a bubble.
0: (laughs) And I like your point about consumerism because it it seems like we're a payments-based society. I'm seeing more, when I buy clothes online, I'll see, you know, break it into four payments.
1: Mm.
0: Or there'll be five or six different ways to finance if that's what I choose to do. Yeah, and they don't tell you anything about the
1: interest you're going to pay.
0: No, no, and I, I had cash and I had money saved up for a vet bill that I had to pay and they went right straight into care credit. I said, what do I owe in cash? Cause
1: it's on my debit card right now. <laughs> yeah, good. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Care, care credit can be, oh, it can be. Very amazing for people who are getting socked with this humongous vet bill. You know, sometimes it's the difference of the the dog or the cat living. I love care credit because unfortunately my mom would have been that kind of person who would have just had to put put the animal down for something that was a couple hundred dollars. So um, I I do believe in care credit. I feel like um, animals' lives get, you know, a little more thought when it comes to something that that you know is expensive but you know the interest rates that you're paying are similar to a credit card 20 plus percent Um, but I like animals I have four dogs so I wouldn't play with my animals lives like that I would always pay to have the work done unless it was something you know obvious so I have a coworker who, um, unfortunately lost her baby, her big boy, the, uh, the breed. That's the great, oh, great Dane, And, and he had cancer and, um, they did end up getting some insurance for him, but they spent a lot of money, a lot of money, even, even by my standards, um, to keep him healthy and alive, which I, I believe his life expectancy increased by maybe a year and a half. He did he did still eventually pass away but um it's sad when you're dealing with some unfortunate expenses like animals and um i'm glad that care credit exists because of that some of the things you can use them for like plastic surgery and stuff i'm going well you could have had that choice you know yeah that was not necessary <laughs> no not probably worth the interest but my dog yeah in fact my husband and i actually had a conversation Jeez. about that after my friend made that choice. And I looked at him and I said, here's how much money I am willing to spend on my dogs. You know, just so you know, don't call me crazy. For some reason, I end up being this person that spends that money because I I love my animals. So you have to budget budget for your family,
0: including your children, your sister, your mother, your dogs. Yep. How long does it take you to make up a budget for everything and what you need to put in savings and what are some best practices around that? Um, it's
1: called QuickBooks, <laughs> <laughs> and it's worth. I think I pay one hundred and twenty-five dollars a year, and you link. I link all my accounts, like all my business accounts, my S corp, you know, the rental properties, and the uh, checking accounts, the credit cards. Because I, as I mentioned to you, I use different cards. To get different rewards and i'm a rewards person i'm i kind of hacked them and um in fact i had mentioned to you that i put like on the front of for instance my bank of america credit card currently i get three percent on gas so i have a sharpie and i put on the card three percent gas and then i have another one that tells me i get three percent groceries another one that say is two percent restaurants Um, So I have all these different credit cards that I use kind of max my points. And then I use them throughout the year for different things. We need travel flights, tickets, cash back, whatever. Um, I have several credit cards, like admittedly more than most consumers could manage, but this is what I do for a living. So it's okay. I have a spreadsheet for this, (laughs) but I also have QuickBooks and I attach all the cards to QuickBooks, which takes a minute. It actually took like a good hour for me to link all my accounts into QuickBooks and then to go in and start putting everything into QuickBooks. But they, the software, the QuickBooks software tells me where I'm at, where I'm spending, what's happening, where the biggest expense categories are. They have a whole pie chart they show you. They break it down by year. They break it down by month. And I, of course, use all of that to kind of make my, my taxes and my accountants like easier. I used to do my taxes up until 2018 and that year was the last year. And I was like, okay, this is, it's getting so to be so much that I've got to, I've got to deploy some professional help, totally worth it. Yeah. And then when I was setting the QuickBooks up, I actually hired basically an assistant, like a personal assistant to help me kind of get over that hump because I have different LLCs for different properties. And then I have my escort for my business. And then I have my personal stuff and, you know, medical expenses, et cetera. So I hired basically for three months, um, someone to go through receipts, help me with QuickBooks, set up all of the automations, because if you, for instance, um, pay the same gym every month, you just check the little box that says, hey, every time you see this, this is always the gym. Anytime you see this, this is always personal. Anytime you see this, this is always business. And then over time, QuickBooks just gets smarter and smarter. So you have to sort through less as time goes on because you teach it what those charges are. This one card I use, anytime I use it, it's always business. This one card I use is always personal, so I can basically code those transactions just by card. It doesn't even have to be by transaction. Um, but when we go to do like our literal budget, I don't—I I don't even keep a check register. I haven't probably for 15 years because I worked at the bank. I look at my accounts every day online. I don't even write checks. So I know, you know, where my money's always at and what's always going on. And I guess I keep enough of my checking account now to where I never have to worry about anything, you know, surprising me. Um, but usually once a quarter, my husband and I are getting together and talking about really just what we've got going on, like a painter or like the pool cover we had to repair, you know, just kind of the big stuff. Um, but when I go in and I look at the QuickBooks and I say, Hey, here's how much we spent. Here's what we spent it on kids, clothes, kids, this kids, that my mom, um, my mom fell needed glasses, you know, whatever. Um, I can kind of map it all out, but with six children between 10 and 18, it's, it's by no means contained. (laughs) It's, it, it very, it very much varies, especially like when big accidents happen that we weren't planning for you know, like totaling the car um so yeah we always have a little bit of money in the backstop or stuff like that but
0: I imagine children are where most of the surprises are going to come from and then saving up for their college
1: and oh they're on their own no I'm kidding <laughs> we have <laughs> money saved we have some money saved but you know to be honest with six children you know I expect probably two or three to go to college probably one or To maybe a a two-year VOTech education and probably be one that just backpacks and hits Europe. I don't know. We'll see how it all plays out. But um, my my kids, because my husband has four and I have two, and we've kind of joined two years ago. So my kids know that if they want to go to college, I'm half funding with the 529s and, and they're half funding either with their own employment work savings or, scholarships and if they can't get scholarships then they're going to have to pick a local community college you know to go to for the first couple years or whatever Um, his children have some money saved as well and so far we're looking at scholarships for his oldest to where we didn't even have to you know come up with anything but yeah kids when you go to when I go to do retirement plans for my clients in their 50s and 60s The ones with the children inevitably have the least amount saved. And I think the statistic was I think every child or every two children cost a couple in the course of the entire life of the child about $300,000 in retirement savings because what could have been a 401k contribution of 300 wasn't. And then that 300 never grew. And so when someone rolls into retirement with basically two children, inevitably they have 300,000 less dollars than they should have, or had they not had children. Um, So it's real money. And yes, they're, they're definitely, I want to say expensive, but ideally they're productive members of society and they, you know, make their own way and we are very much the kind of parent where we are educating them on everything, you know, between driving and credit to, of course, they all do their own laundry. They do pretty much all their own stuff. We even cook with them. They cook, you know, I don't want to raise children who are not going to be a viable partner for somebody else. And I also want them to have standards, you know, for their partner. And if I know that, they have these things in their skill set. I hope that those are kind of their minimum standards for the person that they find. Um, nothing worse than being with someone who basically intends just to play Xbox all day and lay their clothes all over the floor and then you pick them up like their mother. That's not the kind of partner I would hope my children would have. And so then I go back on them and say, that's not the kind of person you're gonna be you you're going to make your own way you're going to do your own stuff from start to finish and that pretty much started by the time they were in fourth grade by fourth third to fourth grade they had some they have legitimate chores and in the work. oh yeah and the work just gets more where my 17 year old is doing a lot of work and he's looking at me going wait wait a minute I work too uh-huh you work and then you come home and work just like me <laughs> like, how does it feel and he's like this adulting stuff is no fun. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're absolutely. Right. <laughs> and in, my,
0: in my opinion, I think you're doing the right thing by installing accountability into them at a young age. So it's no surprise when they get older. Absolutely. They don't yeah. go through the quarter life crisis or Mm-mm. find out why things are always happening or think things are
1: always happening to them. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm we're not, we're not hard. We, we love to have a good time. We have a pool. We we love to have um, the kids go, you know, ice cream, Malibu Jacks, you know, we do all kinds of fun stuff with them. But there's certain days where they have expectations. And there's certain things that always have to get done before they can move to the next thing. And there's kind of minimum, you know, for instance, their rooms always clean, their beds are always made. Um, They come down the stairs with plates and cups, you know, never come down empty handed, never go up without whatever you had coming down, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, um, I hope, I'm curious, I even Chris and I talk about it, I'm curious to see how they all turn out. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious to see where the grand, how many grandbabies we're going to have and where they're going to live, what types of careers they're going into because no one really has a, a clue right now. No one really knows what they want to do. Yeah, So we'll figure it out. <laughs> I hope at least one or two of them come into this business with us. That's kind of my goal, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it shakes out.
0: Yeah, they'll find their passions. A lot of people don't even know until they graduated college, worked for a few years and then go back to school and yeah. find a passion from there.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Live and learn. Well, is
1: there anything else you would
0: like to leave us with or any advice you'd like to give us?
1: Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, I, I've asked, someone's asked me this question once or twice about like working with people in general, uh, especially as a woman. Yeah. You know, and, and what the differences are, you know, between women and men, advisors specifically. And what I have found for me, which is often not the case for men, nor male advisors, is um, how I communicate, how I connect, and the fact that I'm kind of willing to be vulnerable. And so one thing I always tell women all, all over the world is just don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Doesn't mean you're going to be weak. It doesn't mean that um, the people are going to, you know, you're a doormat or you're going to get taken advantage of. But when you really kind of uh, open up and put yourself out there, uh, people can connect easier and they really can buy into your mission or into who you are. And um, it just makes, I think the relationship easier to build and, and quite frankly, quicker. So a lot of a lot of people who meet me just for the first time, just for 20 minutes, as a client, you know, sitting in the chair, will just just go, gosh, you know, I out of the seven visors I've ever met with, or the three other guys that I've ever had, they've never asked me these questions, or they've never talked to me like this, or they've never connected like this, or I've never gotten to know them. I don't say anything. I pretty much almost just listen but it's the fact that I put myself out there. I allow myself to be vulnerable. I ask the right questions, really to allow people to connect to me. And that's most of the connection is, is the you, to me, not so much the me to you. Um, so as a woman, I think we don't necessarily give that enough weight. And we don't really realize that that sometimes is the superpower. You know, we don't have to just be tough you don't have to be strong like a man. Um, really, the thing that makes us sometimes better in certain positions, in certain roles is the concepts of, you know, vulnerability, empathy, um, listening, and really, no matter what type of career someone's in, you'll be better than everybody else if you leverage those. So that would be my, probably my biggest takeaway.
0: And that's excellent. I, that's super inspiring because I know I have oftentimes felt like I had to kind of put on this mask and, and feel like I'm being tough or being a woman in a man's world. Mm-hmm. I can't show emotion. I can't show weakness.
1: No, but Do that, it.
0: I love what you're saying about being vulnerable. I had a conversation with a friend earlier today as we were walking and we both agreed that we mostly work with women as far as real estate agents go, as far as people we get lenders, as far as doctors, dentists like, about everyone I patronize a new business with, 95% of them are women
1: mm-hmm.
0: because that's where I feel comfortable.
1: Right. That's where I feel like somebody's going to relate to me. Yep. It's like your natural. Um... So it's obviously just your energy, but it's it's just your ne- the, the inclination. The world sends you more of what you want, you know. Yes.
0: Yeah, thank you for that.
1: No problem.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. You have brought so much great information. If you want, tell people where they can find you. We've already talked about where to find your book, but
1: um, my, my website is suzannepowell.com. All right. And then obviously the books at suzannepowell.com forward slash book. You can find it on Amazon. The title is The Ultimate Money Moves for Women Over 50. Pretty sure you have to type most of that in though <laughs> to get it to pop up because it's new. It just came out two weeks ago. It's not actually finished, it was just the pre launch. Um, I'll have it done hopefully by late November. That's kind of my goal. So fantastic. I can't wait to
0: dive in. I said it's, it showed me an option to download to my Kindle yes yep it's
1: basically just the 99 cent e-version which i'm basically donating to to charity so um, it doesn't charge anything though until it's finished so
0: wonderful wonderful well thank you again thank you all right thank you again for listening to for better self and net worth an independent podcast if you enjoy the show Please feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Amazon and help me get the word out. Help support the show and also feel free to connect with me on Instagram. My handle is Ella Konomic, or check out the For Better Self and Net Worth webpage. It's www.forbetterselfandnetworth.com. I look forward to connecting with you guys and sharing more value. And again, I cannot thank you enough for supporting my podcast.